Hello, welcome to the Stage Podcast in association with Charcoal Blue. I'm having a little stroll along the meadows, back to the stage flat, and it is beautiful. The other day there was actually um, a rainbow shooting out of Arthur's seat, which was pretty spectacular. Um, This is going to be my last meadows meander for a while, because I am going home later today. Uh, I can't wait. So I need to go and pack, but I thought I'd just check in here first and let you know what's coming up in this, our final Edinburgh podcast for 2018. I've got some brilliant stuff ready and waiting for your ears to feast on. First up, well, Julie Hesmanhouse and I didn't quite make it to the Royal Mile last week, but as promised, the eight-minute mile challenge is back, this time with cabaret sensation Le Gâteau Chocolat, who as you will hear, has a voice made by the gods. Then a bit of review chat over coffee and pastries at Stage HQ with Lynn Gardner, of course, and reviews editor Natasha Tripney and theatre maker Ben Kulvichit. Uh, So the focus for this week is shows by young or emerging or early career companies. And finally, our very last round of Gardner's Question Time, for now, anyway. So let's crack on. Here is Le Gâteau Chocolat on Le Royal Mile. Have you ever played the Royal Mile game? Absolutely not. It's my <laughs> actual idea of hell. <laughs> oh, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so this is kind of triggering well, for me, just walking down here. Um, but there's no I'm one, there's so no one on. sorry, Gato. Um, I, I've just, I'm about to put you through hell. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> just but no, no, at the, at, the, at the moment, there's no one here. You, you're in three shows this year. Yes. So you, you like to take things easy. I do. Really <laughs> kind of like a lackadaisical pace, really yeah. just kind of carefree. Just come up to Edinburgh and chill and do, for three weeks. And do three weeks. Yeah. And do three shows in that time. Yeah. No, um, the reason, I, I felt like I had to catch up really, because okay. I hadn't done Edinburgh since 2015, mm. and in that time I'd made um, two pieces of work, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to come in 2019. Mm. So it was about... Um, catching up um, I mean it was great not coming up in those two years and having good reason not to I was in um, in Shakespeare and at, at the Nash but um, uh, it's not a bad is, excuse no but which is still for me really surreal really surreal okay. kind of working with Emma and uh, Emma Rice and Rufus Norris like what <laughs> can you give me a, a quick sort of pricey of each of the shows yes so I um, made a kid show a family show mm. I keep on saying kids it's not a kid show it's a family show based on the ugly duckling the twist is sometimes you your heart your happy ever after doesn't materialize not everyone is going to become a swan magically or it's not a case of mistaken identity it's just about embracing the fact that being this ugly duck is enough um, and then um, Johnny Wu's all star Brexit Cabaret, where I star as Nigel Farage because the resemblance is uncanny. It is uncanny. I, I mean, was going to say, but I didn't want to be rude. Yeah, you know? so there you go. And then Icons, my other show, which plays um, Assembly at 7.30, which is about um, my icons, and I believe our icons. I talk about internationally recognised icons, but it's kind of underpinned with anecdotes, anecdotally by my life, but universal themes like um, loss and grief and heartbreak and success and running marathons but it's all music that we know from Madonna to Pavarotti to um, Kate Bush and Beer. Um, so which, and which one are you going to sing for us now? Though? None. <laughs> um, it's 10am in the morning like literally my voice is still in my shoes. Um, it's not that early for me. I, I've been normally at spin spin at 715 
even with oh, the three shows. The gym next to me, for some crazy reason, all this being clustered are at 7.15 or 8.30 or something. And after this, then I've got to go and do my nails. Because look at that. Look at that. Look how, look, look at this. So this is, uh, uh, look at this. This is how it looked. It looked just kind of nice and glittery or whatever, and then it all cracked. And then I couldn't take it off because it's like shellac, so you have to soak it and buff it and whatever. So I just painted over it, which is why it looks like an absolute pig's breakfast. I think it looks quite artistically abstract. That's very kind of you, but that's basically uh, kind of uh, a nice way of saying it looks like shit. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and get it done properly by the lovely lady who does them for me for free. She found me on Facebook and she was like, hey, you're in Edinburgh. Yeah, she, um, she found me on Facebook and she was like, hey, um, you're in Edinburgh and you're doing shows. Do you want me to do your nails? And I was like, yeah, sure. So she's done my nails. She came to Ducky. She came to Icons. And she's been doing my nails since 2015. Just a fan. Just a fan. That's amazing. That's really, really, that's oh, really amazing. I was going to say that I think it's the first time I've seen you not, well, at least with a glittery beard. Yes, without. Yeah. It's the first time you see me out of. Without a glittery beard. Without, yes. yeah, ah, yeah. I see. But then I noticed the nails and I thought, oh, there's still, uh, a, there's little still a little bit, bit of gatto. But that's what I mean, but a little bit of shitty gatto, because this needs to come <laughs> oh, up and be better. Oh, that's a lovely image. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a little bit of rubbish gatto. <laughs> not quite together gatto, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and get this done post our chat but the so that's quite an interesting thing the drag element yeah would you say this is like civvies or would you say this is a different side of your i would say that this is a different kind of drag because i think mm. we're always in drag i think drag is um a personification of who we want to be at any particular time um i know that people equate drag with just being kind of flamboyantly dressed or crossing gender but i think that um drag is more about projecting um the side of yourself that you want seen you're dressed the way you are now but if you were going to a wedding you'd be dressed differently and if you were going to an interview you'd be dressed differently and if you're going to on a date you would be dressed differently and so this is like my gym interview interview drag um <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I think it's just a, I, and that's the thing about the kind of drag that I do as well. I'm not playing a character. I'm never playing a character. It's a kind of magnification of who I am. I suppose I find it sometimes really kind of exhausting because I think the thrust of the work that I do is to underline commonalities to kind of go, we're the same, is to... And I find it's really exhausting because there's always those who are marginalized and who have less rights who are saying to those whose rights have never been questioned that it's okay, I'm not wanting any more than you have or I'm not trying to kick you off your podium of privilege. No, I'm just fighting for the same thing. And that's what's exhausting because you're, it's, it feels like you're, being, you're fighting for this whilst you're being kicked. I think over the last year, I think the best way I've come to find and describe it is the seemingly innocuous phrase of human being. A lot of people are born with the privilege of being allowed to be a human being and um, a lot of people aren't and it's a privilege that some take for granted I think. In the quest for equality, that's what it's about really. The, the, the joy and the privilege of just being allowed to be and to be anonymous to just kind of go about your business without having those things questioned you know yeah i find it interesting in places like edinburgh during the fringe where there's no eyebrows raised if someone's walking along in in full drag yes and, and precisely. you know there, there's much more of a sense of you're just you go, allowed oh, to get the on, with your on yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah but then that's because there is an expectation of it as sure. well i know i imagine like on the monday after if yeah. you were walking down the streets in full drag, 
there would be some eyebrows. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Is this kind of always acceptable in this sphere, in this environment, mm. at this time, in this duration? Yeah. But post this is literally like we're cutting the line and then after that, um, yeah, no, no more. Ducky as well is really interesting because it's, um, as I say, family show. Yeah. Updating the values of what family shows have traditionally been. Um, how conscious were you when you were of that when you were making it? Very, very, very conscious. One of the things that inspired me in the making of writing it was Inside Out. Uh, the kids were loving it, but the tears in the room were from the parents. Mm -hmm. And I think it was very important for me to kind of capture that, encapsulate that in the making of Ducky, in terms of some of the existential and lo loftier themes in it, for the parents to explain this to their kids, but also for the parents to see themselves in it as either Ducky or as the aggressors. Yes. And I'm not saying that I have all the answers or this is the definitive. I can only paint this as a, a reality that you might not be party to because it's not something that you've experienced in your life. It's for all of us, I think. For, yeah. And if you've been through a school system, if you've ever had school system pack mentality, the concept of bullying isn't um, relegated to just going through schools. It's, it's present any and everywhere, yeah. you know? Right, well, we've been paused for a bit, but let's carry on sure. walking. Also, what's weird is we haven't been flyed. No. So you try and consciously avoid the Royal Mile? Yes, so I haven't done it. Oh, look, we have been flyed. Hoo-ha. Hoo-ha. Just got four stars in the Feminist Fringe. Uh, it's not clean, but it's not mean. Very open-hearted confessional comedy. That's hoo-ha, sir. It's what we're buying in the game. Hoo-ha. <laughs> look at that. We've got another one now. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Social media drives the family insane. Oh, great. Thank you. There you go. You yeah. invited it. You were like, like oh, we haven't invited you soon. Like buses. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yes. So um, you don't think you'll be back next year, possibly? Well, I have been, I'm um, in dialogue at the moment with, um, with an opera company. Oh. And some of those shows are in August, which is why I'm not sure I'll be here. Yeah. Which leads me on nicely to your voice, your singing voice. So, the st do you know it was the stage, I think, that described it as being like a Lindor chocolate? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love Lindor. <laughs> they are good. Oh, they but are really good. But it's a good description, because it's... Um, but did you have vocal training? Or you didn't have a, No, I didn't. Training? So, I, when I first moved here um, in Stenning, there was a lady who um, taught in my school, and I had lessons with her. And then I went and studied law at Sussex Uni, but then I also then applied to go to the Guildhall. Um, I got a place, but then um, my dad said um, no, so I didn't go. Sometimes I think, what if? I just imagine where I would be if I'd had the kind of tuition that the Guildhall or the Royal Academy would have given me. But the, the flip side of that is, I don't know how I feel about the opera world. Mm. Mm. Not essentially the opera world. I don't know how I feel about what my place would be in the opera world is more the context. I love the art form very much. Mm. It's all I listen to. Mostly, is mo if you, uh, nine out of ten times, if you stop me in the streets with my um, earphones in, it'd be opera. Mm. I don't think it's a lie to say that I can count the number of times I've seen black people on the stage. Yeah. My friend was part of um, Marriage of Figaro, but it was called the Bame Mar Marriage of Figaro. And I'm like, this is actually embarrassing. Yeah. So I don't know that I want to be... I don't know that I want to 
be in to fight that fight. Yeah. And I think there's and a lot of exhaustion around some of the stuff already that I don't know that I have the energy. Well, but it should be well. on you to oh, take on that fight. I know. And I'm not. And this is by no means going. I'm a martyr. I'm doing the fight. I'm just saying. I just don't have the energy to have that in the mix when I'm thinking about trying to not only pursue my ambition but also a career and my livelihood I don't want to be thinking about oh trying to change the trying to change the opinion of whether black people can do this or not yeah such a, I feel like this is such a stupid question after an interesting discussion. What are your favourite arias? <laughs> oh my god, they're mostly soprano arias because okay. um, I just love what. Um, oh, that's a really hard one. How high can your voice go? Because you've got such a sort of deep Not that high. Okay. Not that high. And I think that that's a kind of. Queen of the night. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Coloratura and top Fs. Um, um, oh, I see. When I started, I remember hearing Queen of the Night aria and going, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> what do you like to sing in the chat? Oh, I like to compete with Renee Fleming and how long she can hold notes. Because <laughs> she can hold a note for 300 years. Try not to and get water she, up your Exactly, nose. and she wins all the time. <laughs> um, for that very reason, we just had um, got my shower done and we installed speakers in there. I lied to myself that I'm using it to warm up. It's just to sing along. It's just to, it's sing, just to sing along, along really, yeah. to the sopranos that I love. Yeah, of modern day diva. In the, the of, <laughs> In the shower, yeah. Yeah. Black, is black okay? Um, milk as well. Oh yeah, there's milk. Oh, I haven't got coffee for myself. Yeah, check that out. I'll make, I'll make one in a minute. Look, it's difficult making coffee and podcasting at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so this morning, and it's comparatively early for a fringe morning, it's 10am and it's a Sunday, um, and Lynn's treated us to some rather nice pastries. So thank you for that. So we're having breakfast and we're going to talk about shows by... Well, I suppose young companies or emerging companies or companies, early career companies. With me to talk about these shows are Lynn Gardner and Natasha Tripney, who is the stage's reviews editor. Of course, you all know that. And Ben Kulditchit, who reviews for the stage and makes this show as well. Um, so, and, and is young and is in a young company. <laughs> so perfect. <That's> me. <laughs> um, so we're going to start with, well, we're going to talk about four shows. We're going to talk about... Insert slogan here, everything not saved. Lights over Tesco car park, and it's true, it's true, it's true. So we'll start with insert slogan here. Um, Natasha, talk us through what it was about, what you made of it, and, and t- tell me a bit about the company. It's by I'm a I'm just going to make some coffee for myself, sorry. Called Yes, Yes, No, who had a show here last year called Five Encounters on a site called Craigslist. Uh, their new show is called in, Insert Slogan Here, and is extensively about how branding and advertising can infiltrate and um, influence your life but it's also I think about intimacy and it's also about performance it has a large amount of of interaction or what I assume is audience interaction um, where people talk about their need for love or home or happiness uh, with the main performer which results in some quite candid and sort of open dialogues. This is interspersed with spoken word moments, which fuse video with spoken word. Um, I was always engaged with him as a performer and the way that he put his audience at ease and have come out of it still slightly unclear as to what the overall aim of it was. I'd be interested to know what other people made of it. Well, Ben, what did you make of it? The thing that I found really interesting about it was really how it spoke to the last show, because that was sort of... Uh, so like 
sincere and mm -hmm. just kind of really naked, um, literally as well as metaphorically. Um, uh, and this one is, is like using all of the same techniques and, and even some of the same sort of script when he's talking to, to people. He'll say, you know, um, uh, can I just get you to do one more thing? And, and sort of all these things that he keeps repeating. Um, but here it's sort of recontextualised and kind of undercut a little bit. And so to me it's sort of about sincerity and, um, and ins insincerity. Did you like it? I loved it, yeah. I found it really... I'm not really sure. Go on. No, I'm just not. I, I, I find myself resistant to it because of, mm. of that balance of sincerity and insincerity. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, in some ways this probably might qualify as the sort of difficult second show mm -hmm. sort of syndrome. Right. And, and I think what he did with Craigslist felt at the time so utterly fresh, so completely surprising. And there is something I think about being in Edinburgh and you go in and you see something about which you know almost nothing and uh, then that opportunity to be kind of delighted. Whereas I feel with this show, I certainly went in with much greater expectations of it. And like Natasha, I had a problem, I think, really finally getting a handle on what it was really about. Mm. And yet at the same time, there were moments in it that I just really, really loved. And I think his ability to um, work with an audience and sort of feel as though you're actually genuinely collaborating because one of the things that he's actually trying to do is trying to recreate on stage an advertisement about which he was completely obsessed, a Volvo advertisement which he saw when he was eight years old and loved so much that he wrote to Volvo uh, saying that he'd like to be involved in the next one. And so, it, you know, in a way what this show about is about him making his own eight-year-old dream come true but also I think to some degree you know, our dreams now and the things that we really care about and that the things that we think matter beyond the slogans. So who's the performer? And Sam who's the, Ward. Sam Ward. He's so disarming and so open with, with his um, audience. I was questioning, because I'm cynical, whether they were actually sort of whether they were plants at some point because they were so candid and told him so much about you know where they were emotionally at the moment and in a way that I don't think I would ever feel comfortable doing yeah, but in a space like that. But so I think it's clever about the way that he does um, yeah. uh, he does the choosing. I mean, it seemed to me that in fact he was really reading the audience mm. and who it is who might be good to come up on stage, which yeah. is not necessarily the people who are waving their hands yeah, yeah, about. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And also, I think uh, was it, who was it was saying like. In Edinburgh, you just sort of you've got one la layer of skin left <laughs> yeah. when you're seeing stuff and performing true. stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you... I thought there was a neat little thing around the fact that when he the, the questions that he asked in order to select the yeah. people, he then commented uh, because they were all actually about possessions, mm. and uh, uh, he then selected people uh, on the basis of the brand. Uh, I don't know if he selected people, but he then commented on the brand mm. that they were wearing or had on them. So it sounds like pretty clever audience work. It sounds like he's, he knows what oh, he's doing. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's smart. Look, it's a really smart piece of theatre. I mean, it really is. Uh, and I think there's something kind of quite interesting in some ways about three of the shows, Everything Not Saved, so it's Logan here and it's true, it's true, it's true, that yeah. we're going to be discussing, that um, in fact they are all really coolly intelligent yeah. pieces of theatre. Let's move on to Everything Not Saved. So... Lynn, can you tell us a bit about the show and about the company and, and what you made of it? Uh, Everything Not Saved is a show by uh, Malaprop Theatre. Uh, they were here last year uh, and had a big hit with a show called Catfish. There was another show. Black Catfish, Black Cat yes. And about... also another show called Love Plus. That's mm -hmm. right. Everything Not Saved is a show about memory 
uh, about what we remember, how we remember, and um, whether we remember correctly. And it takes the form, really, of initially a uh, kind of a, a voiceover from a child asking questions, and then it runs into uh, three scenes. One is a video that is being filmed uh, in order to be put out at the moment that uh, Elizabeth II dies, but which becomes also a discussion about the end of a, of a relationship. The second scene is about an actor who is involved in a, a staging uh, for lawyers of a forensic examination and about how the information is kind of presented. And the third and wildest scene, um, and I won't spoil it for people, but I think this has one of the most enjoyable and startling final ten minutes on the, stage, on, on, on the fringe, uh, is a scene which uh, uh, discusses um, what we know about Rasputin and how much that really is from history, or how much it is from Birmingham songs, or from uh, Anastasia film, or yeah, uh, so, and it's very, very clever, and also vastly entertaining. I mean, I do think there is something about the setup that again feels as though it slightly engages the head rather more than it engages the heart. Okay, do but, you think that, Natasha? Um, yes, but it engages the head in, you know, in the, the way that I most uh, respond to and enjoy um, it. The framework of the piece is is almost sort of designed to to be both memorable and unmemorable in certain ways. I feel that it, it's playing with you that the last scene is brilliant because, and you'll find yourself discussing that last scene probably more so than some of the stuff that preceded it. So it's kind of has built into its structure. Um, it's some of the ideas yeah. that it had. It's trying to provoke and evoke about so the idea of memory about yeah. memory. They're a fascinating company. Do you know much about them? I don't know that much. They're Dublin-based and they, they're a devising company, but they work in conjunction with a playwright called uh, Dylan Copeland Gray. So they're always very sort of refi- the writing is always very precise and refined, and that they are very written shows in yeah. a way that some devised work isn't always. Lynn, when you say that you it's shows that sort of speak to the head more than to more than to the heart, is that is that a bad thing? Oh no, I mean, you know, it's purely subjective and it's probably a reflection of me rather than the the show itself. Yeah. Uh, You know, one can't deny this is a, uh, you know, expertly put together piece. Um, I mean, even from the way that it actually uses the stage manager in a very witty and clever way to kind of keep drawing attention to the fact that what we are watching is a piece of theatre that is being constructed. So um, I don't think there is kind of one right way to play to make theatre over another right way yeah. to, uh, to to make theatre. Do you feel your heart has been underused this French mm. uh, To some degree, I think there have been a few shows, uh, dressed being a really mm. good example, where actually you know my heart was not underused at all. I thought it might mm. burst. Um, uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think genuinely underused. I think there is quite a lot of work here, particularly by young companies, that is perhaps going for an emotional reaction, but actually it needs to be earned, needs to be completely earned, and I think often what the case is is that it isn't really. Okay, let's move on to Lights of Tesco Car Park. Ben, tell us a bit about this and about the company. Okay, cool. So they're called um, Poltergeist Theatre. And the show is about aliens. Uh, it's about them getting into contact with a guy called Rob who lives in Oxford um, and who claims that he has seen UFOs. And it's sort of interspersed with um, audience participation 
bits, which are um, based on historical uh, UFO sightings and, and alien encounters and stuff like that. Did you like it? I really like it. It's such a, a, a an entertaining and lovely and sweet show, and like really cleverly put together. Lynn, what do you think of it? I enjoyed it, uh, and I thought it was um, you know really uh, bright, fresh, young work. Yeah. It seems to me that actually. That again, um, rather as we were talking about, there it absolutely draws attention to its meta theatricality. I think, um, uh, rather like insert slogan here, uh, one of the things that it does is about how it uses the audience and about taking care and paying attention to the way that it does that. And I think there's something about both those shows together uh, that that idea, we talk a lot about the idea that, you know, you sit in the theatre and suddenly you are a community. And I'm really sorry, I absolutely just yeah. sort of don't yeah, really yeah, believe yeah. that. I think if you okay. sit down on a plush yeah, building yeah, yeah. seat in a row in the dark, you are no more uh, a, a kind of a community with the uh, stranger to your left and the stranger to your right as, uh, as you are at the moment when you enter the theatre except possibly if you go to the Yvonne Arnaud in Guildford, where I once went to the theatre on my own and the couple next to me got up and shook my hand because they were so shocked that I had come to the theatre on my own. <laughs> but anyway... Um, uh, but that's weird about the idea of community because there is a sense in which when you're in an auditorium full of people, like there's this kind of... You can sense the atmosphere and you can sense the kind of emotion of an entire audience. Well, but, but when that works, I think it does, just for that brief moment, make a community of us. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I can think of examples of those shows where, you know, those moments in the theatre which are rare but just so blissful, when it suddenly feels as if an entire audience has held their breath and yeah. just leaning forward mm-hmm. a, a little bit. Uh, I, I remember, actually, there was a play here, Edinburgh, uh, at the Trav, uh, quietly, with Patrick O'Kane in it, and a, a play about the troubles and the legacy of the troubles, and absolutely that sense that you know everybody in the audience was just hanging on yeah. to it. And, but I think that's a really rare thing, and I think that one of the things that is interesting about a lot of the work that's being done by young companies is that I think they're almost recognising that there is not a community mm. and the theatre perhaps should be a community and are trying uh, to trying find to ways in order to... How can you do that in the space of an hour in the theatre? I, I, I've been finding this... This is a bit of a swerve. I've been finding this with, um, like, you know, marathon theatre or box set theatre or whatever, basically, you know, the really long shows or two-part shows, which is that really nice thing where you see part one and then either later on in the day or the next day, you go back to the same seat and the same people are there. And like in all of those shows that I've seen that have been two parts, I've always got to know the people yeah. next to me. And I'm not a particularly friendly person, but it's just because you, they, you know, yeah. you sort of, you're with them for such a long period of time, yeah. sharing this experience. Yes, but I think there's something else about that, which is like, you know, it can feel, um, uh, when it's great, that's fantastic. Yeah. And when it isn't, it feels as though you're kind of the survivors yeah. pulling together from some terrible <laughs> catastrophe, which just happens to be a theatre performance. <laughs> I saw the Midnight Soup a couple of nights ago, um, oh, and that yeah. was really lovely. Oh yeah, it's a beautiful. Yeah, piece. you're sat around a table, and it's like two and a half hours long, you know, at the Fringe, and you sit down and you make a meal and you talk to people, um, and it just doesn't really feel like a piece of theatre at all. It's, is that that's nothing. purely what it is? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, a, and, it, and it's a conversation about grief and who we mm. love and uh, who we lose, and um, and and in a way, again, absolutely, the um, the audience make the show. Yeah. Mm. Well. 
so the, the last show we wanted to, actually does anyone want more coffee or or tea, tea. I don't actually know what we run out of tea. <laughs> <laughs> I did want, I did want tea, Tim, but <laughs> it was quite clear I couldn't have it. <laughs> I, will have another I, cup, I will have another cup of coffee. I didn't make the offer very compelling, did, you did I? Didn't, did you? <laughs> it was like, if you want tea, you will have to go back in the round in the bed and get it. <laughs> Which I was not willing to do personally. Yeah. Um, there's, I, we've got like, we've got Roombosh tea or chai. Oh, no, well, no, no, no. Just yeah, another well, cup of coffee would be lovely. All right, okay. We've run out the building. Sorry. Yeah, we've run out of yeah. Ben, would you like anything? Actually, uh, I'm I, good, thanks. I really nice. like green tea, so you're, you're way off. Oh. <laughs> Dad, you're all right. I'm all right, thank you. Okay, I'll, I'll put a coffee in. Let's do that pastry. Who's had two? I've had two, so. Yeah, so have you had one? No, 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 I've only had one. But which one do you want out of those two? I don't think I want another one, I'm okay. But you could take one home with you. It could see you through the rest of the day. Which one do you want, Tim? Because mm. you've done the most work here. You... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been going to get out yeah. of tea. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm going to go for the chocolate croissant. If that's go for right. it. Thanks. You can have a pano raisin in a mm. doggy bag. Or you can okay. just eat it now. Mm. Don't forget the fruit as well. <laughs> I think that's the first fruit I've seen this fringe. <laughs> Actually, no, we've got a fruit bar there, but the lemons and limes are mainly for cocktails. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it still counts, though, doesn't it? Yeah, of course it counts. It's not scurvy. Yeah, yeah. The other thing to say about Lights of Tesco Car Park is it's got really good sound design. Um, Do you which remember I feel it's really rare in like first shows and <coughs> a young work like that. Um, yeah, it's by Alice Boyd. Really yeah. I've noticed some really good sound design this video actually. I think productions are much more sophisticated than they were just a few years ago. Mm. I think that idea that, I, I mean, I think there's definitely something about the fact that um, if you come to the fringe, you're putting on your show in really difficult conditions and you need to think about that. But actually, for example, you can't on the whole do a really kind of uh, incredible design, mm. though actually I have seen some things with some quite good design in there, but actually can do great sound design, design yeah. because you can do that. Mm. You can pre-record it and yeah. do it, yeah, yeah. yeah. And but, it doesn't need a huge get into it. Yeah. But I think there is a level actually which may be around young theatre makers about their level of skill when they start off, mm. which is different from maybe 10 and definitely from 20 years ago, yeah? Mm. That, that actually, that I think they were learning those things when they started making work and bringing it to Edinburgh, whereas yeah. now I think they are learning it at college. Do you, when you're making work then, mm. like how, how technical is it and how much um, mm. kind of intricate sound design and lighting design stuff is there? It depends what I'm making, but I've got a really good friend called Nat Norland who um, is really good at sound design and composition, so we work together a lot. Wow, that sounds great. Forgive me, what company do you work with? Um, Emergency Chorus. Oh, right, yeah. okay, yeah. Where did you come across that name? Or how did you settle on that name? Um, uh, so the first show was kind of about, like, we were talking about crisis a lot, crises, and um, and then it also just kind of like a little cheeky, you know, dig at, like, companies, you know, perpetually emerging. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. back to the um, topic of emerging companies. <laughs> <now>. uh, <laughs> so, well, we could talk about that, actually. I mean, mm. do, so, do you think it is a, is a problem, that, lab, that term, that label, emerging? Emerging? Well, I don't think it's a problem in and of itself. Um, it's just like a, um, I guess, like an, an in, industry, you know, structural problem of it being really difficult to kind of, like, scale up to, you know, mid-scale mid yeah. work, and yeah. 
And also, actually, I think the reason that emerging in particular is a problem is because of the fact it almost always has the word young also mm, yeah, attached yeah. to it. And I think there is something about kind of remembering that it's perfectly possible to be an emerging theatre company or an emerging artist, you know, in your late 30s or into your 40s, yeah. I like the term early career. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I might yet, you know, take to looking up. I can't wait to, can't wait to see your show next year. <laughs> also, there's sort of a company like Melloprop, who are sort of, I think, a fairly known quantity yeah. In, yeah. In, the, in Ireland, and, and so and that becomes reframed on the fringe. Well, I think there's something maybe interesting about, so Breach Theatre, it's true, it's true, it's true, which is the last show to talk about. Because this is their fourth show, third or fourth show? Fifth, technically. Fifth. Yeah. Yeah. One uh, show was part of a bigger project, but this is their, f- yeah, their, their fifth show. And, you know, I suppose the perception of them still that they're emerging or whatever, but they're, they've been making some really cracking stuff for a few years. Yeah, but I mean, they are really unusual in that they sort of sprung upon the fringe with the Beanfield pretty well yeah. fully formed yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a fully way that I, brilliant. yeah in a way that I think is really really rare. I think the only other people that I could kind of think of in you know sort of going back, I suppose probably Barrel Organ as well, which also came out of Warwick. Mm. Uh, and uh, prior to that, you know, uh, between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea from 1927. But then again, these things are deceptive because they had been working together before that and yeah. they had been to Edinburgh, but in a different context on the cabaret scene. Yeah. So Ben, it's true, it's true, it's true. Explain a bit about the show, what yeah. form it takes and what it's about. So the show's about the painter Artemisia Gentileschi. She took uh, another painter, uh, whose name I can't remember, Agostino Tassi, Tassi um, to court um, for raping her. So what did you make of It's True, It's True, It's True then? Oh, I really loved it. I thought, actually, I thought there was something that's sort of quite interesting that in this show, which I think, uh, you know, is very sophisticated in every way from the kind of the design uh, to the way that uh, it uses a uh, rape trial from the early 17th century in order to discuss ideas around uh, consent what happens to women and mm. the justice system and sort of applies those in a way that uh, makes you think, goodness, how much has really changed in 400 mm. years? Yeah. So this is the show that the three of you are the most excited about. Why? It's so, like, it's so brave and bold and really, really angry. Well, you, so we were talking earlier about like, thinking and feeling shows and I found Breach's work in the past like, really very cerebral. Yeah. Um, really clever, really formally, like... Um, um, intelligent, but this one just like my chest was so tight watching it. And, yeah, it's formally bold in the way that it incorporates uh, uh, the transcripts of this trial, mm. the way that it uses verbatim techniques uh, and blends them with you know a very sort of striking sort of the way they use it. the first time they've sort of also used costumes and set design mm. and they use that in a very creative way there's this sense that the space is both a courtroom and an artist studio at the same time and that's very effective and so it has this yeah it's, it's every element of it is thought through that's quite superb yeah. I, I think again it's quite interesting because I've seen a lot of work by young companies beyond the shows that we're discussing and one of the things that and I think it's quite interesting that the, the, the ones that we've selected uh, are all playing with form mm. and I think that there is a lot of work out there that um, is very nice uh, and um, has its own urgency in terms of uh, speaking perhaps uh, of millennial anxiety 
about the world. Mm. Um, but I also think um, that actually is not that interesting in terms of mm. what it's trying to do with form. Mm-hmm. What have millennials got to be anxious about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying they don't have a reason to be anxious, <laughs> but I would say that actually, uh, in a way, the sort of thing that we're discussing, the idea of what is it that we can believe. Yeah. If I was to identify two things amongst work I've seen from young companies, it's one that, and the other thing is, I am a very anxious person. Mm. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying for a moment that that's... Uh, neither justified nor in fact not a good thing to explore um, but I think those would be the two themes that kind of emerge for me. Mm, yeah. As we sail into the last round of Gardener's Question Time, for the time being I just wanted to say thanks for all your questions there have been some really great ones um, and some really rubbish ones so I mean it's, it's mad the number of people on Twitter who just asked will you come and see my show um you know, don't be one of them. You're, you're all better than that. We'll start with a, with a silly one, just to ease into it. Okay. What's been your favourite show title this year? Well, I quite like insert slogan here, on the basis that actually if you try and Google it, uh, all sorts of very strange things come up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Which that's... have nothing to do with the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This one was from a PR company. Right. And... It's on the topic of PR. So they say there's been a lot of conversation on social media this year about PR at the fringe, and some of it has been quite negative. While, of course, there are examples of bad practice out there, PR people do work very hard. Um, I wondered if Lynn had any pointers on good PR practice at the fringe or examples of positive experiences with PR reps and press offices. Yeah, I think it's absolutely true that uh, there are some very good PRs on the fringe and there are some less good PRs on the fringe and uh, I think it's really important for companies coming uh, to ask around uh, ask people from previous years what their experience has been like with a PR and uh, actually also approach journalists uh, and find out that information uh, about who they find it easy to work with and, and who they don't and I think there is a big discrepancy in how much that people pay and how much they actually get for that money and I think that a really good PR on the fringe uh, is uh, somebody who is there and is completely supporting supportive of their clients but also actually recognises what are the demands on journalists and are bold enough to perhaps say to you on occasion maybe this show is not for you. I think there is a real value in that if the PR can have a proper relationship with a journalist and know that one particular show they're representing may be better pushed towards a different journalist who may appreciate it rather than towards you. This is quite an interesting one. This is from someone who says, Hi Lynn, I'm usually at the Fringe doing solo comedy shows, uh, but this year I'm in a play. In comedy, it feels like, for better or worse, the Fringe dictates the shape of the comedy year. To what extent is that the case in theatre, and is that good or bad? I think it's much less in theatre, but I think it's true for more established companies uh, that uh, they will think very hard about uh, making work uh, which will come to Edinburgh and which they will then have a tour probably set up for either that autumn or already for the uh, uh, following spring. Uh, And uh, the truth is, is that for most companies, 
um, quite simply, it's not a matter of choice. They, uh, it's just about the fact that can they get a show together? Is it a show that uh, feels as though it might be viable in Edinburgh and hoping that they will then uh, get something out of it? But I think for some of those established companies, I think companies like uh, Theatre Ad, Ad Infinitum, people like Chris Thorpe, uh, new perspectives. Um, it's very much built uh, into uh, the way that uh, they will structure and uh, 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 and program their own work throughout the year. Uh, this is really interesting. Hi, Lynn. I'm wondering what it is that attracts you to see a show. So this is from Jade Byrne on Twitter. Is it the marketing, the reputation of the company, the PR team, or do you just choose what you like the look of? Uh, It's a mixture of all those things. Um, I'd like to do more of the latter, of simply things that I like the look of, uh, or even things that I just go, ah, that just kind of uh, sounds like a good title, or I've seen a good, good poster and I'll give it a whirl Um, the reality is is that almost every day ends up not being quite the day that you hoped that it would be and that's to do with scheduling that sometimes in order to be able to see a run of shows and be able to get maybe five things in during that day you end up seeing some things that actually you feel less keen about seeing just because the timings actually work out and I will get to the end of uh, the fringe of this week and there will be loads of shows that uh, I was absolutely confident at the beginning of the fringe that I was going to get to go and see and I won't have seen and actually that's sad this is the final question of Gardner's question time at the fringe this year what's the first thing you do when you get home have a bath a large glass of wine, <laughs> a good sleep. Yeah. That, um, that thundering noise in the background is the train I'm on. So hurtling back to London, it's actually it's surprisingly empty, although there's a lady opposite me with a Sudoku book but she doesn't know that in the newspaper puzzle pecking order, Sudoku is actually at the bottom you've got um, cryptic crossword at the top obviously and then non-cryptic crossword and then code word and then the wordy wheel and then everything else and then Sudoku Morpeth. I have no idea where Morpeth is and I'm in it. But I think I'm still a long way from London. Anyway, as I was saying, that's it for Edinburgh. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe and please leave a review on iTunes so others can find it as well. Thank you, big thank you to Charcoal Blue who've been supporting us with this podcast you can uh, look at all the all the brilliant stuff they do on charcoalblue.com we will be back at some point soon if you have any suggestions for things you'd like to hear on this podcast please do get in touch with me you can email me tim at the stage.co.uk 
Thank you very, very much for listening. I'm going to copy Lynn and go and have a big glass of wine. Can't wait to catch up with you all soon. But for now, goodbye. <laughs>